title of the message tonight, which we will take from verse 8, is very simply two words, believe God, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Now, previously, we read the first four verses. Now, I want to read verses 4 through 8. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, all of you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I think all of us enjoy receiving gifts. We certainly do like to be the beneficiaries of blessing. And whenever God goes out of his way to give us anything, it's usually an extension of his grace that comes through the death of his son. By that, I mean that there's nothing you could ever do that could earn something from God. God gives things to us because he loves us. And his love for us is so great that I've said before in years past, and I still believe that it holds true, that even on your best day, with all the strong faith that you have, that even on your best day, you could never have a faith in God that is greater than his love for you. That's how much he loves you. He loved you, the scripture says, before we loved him. And his love is all-encompassing. The scripture says in verse 4 here that God is rich. He's rich in a lot of things. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But here the scripture says he's rich in mercy. So if in your own life, if you feel like you're not as loving or as compassionate or as merciful as you could be or should be, then maybe you should go to the Lord and ask God to provide you some resources and the supply of the mercy that he's able to give you. You could ask me, but I can't guarantee I could give you all that you need. And I could ask you for it, but I can't find no guarantee that you would be able to provide me all that I need. And the reason I say that is because as a human, as a man, I won't lie, there are times when there are people who get on my nerves. That probably doesn't happen to you at all. Every now and then there seems to be people in this world that seemed to break the last straw. But you know the good thing about God is, the scripture says he's rich in mercy. In fact, the Bible uses this kind of language. His mercies are new every other day. Every morning, his mercies are new every morning. So as sure as the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning, you need to know that God has mercy for you, even when you have failed the previous day, and you have failed the previous night. And that's a beautiful thing. Many times the people would come to Jesus and they had all kinds of problems and they would say, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, of course, in their desire for mercy to be shown, they wanted to be healed. So that tells you now that healing is an extension of God's mercy. 
whether it's healing of the physical body or healing of a broken heart. If you've ever had a wounded spirit or a broken heart, if you've ever had a point in your life where somebody had a nervous breakdown, well, a broken mind, God is still merciful enough to bring healing. But you know what we have to do? Believe God. We have to believe the Lord even in the face of circumstances that say things cannot change. Since we've been raised up and seated in heavenly places, we should know that our position in the Lord Jesus Christ gives us an opportunity that other people don't have. You have access to God. Sinners don't have access to God except for repenting and getting right with God. But you, you're a son, you're a friend, you have relationship. The blood of Jesus has brought you nigh unto the Father so that you can pass through the outer court into the veil in the very holy place of God and have a genuine bona fide relationship with him. And you don't need to go through a preacher in order to get to God. You can have a relationship with God on the basis of what he's provided you through the death of his son. So having been having learned of this grace, then Paul says in verse number eight, it is by grace you are delivered. But faith is the means. Faith is what God uses in order for you to be delivered or rescued or redeemed out of your situation. How does faith come? The Bible says faith comes by hearing. Then what is it that makes it possible to hear the word of God? It's God's word that in a spiritual way removes that. The, the wax from your ear. It's the word of God that makes it possible for you to hear the truth. And the more a person hears the truth, the better it is for them. This thing will clean out your spiritual ears. Now, there are people in this world who have lost their hearing and gone deaf because <clears throat> they didn't have simple, basic ideas about hygiene. And it is true that there are people in places in Africa who, because of the buildup of a natural substance, lost their ability to hear. Well, the sinner that's out there in the world that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, a sinner can't hear the word of God and understand it. And the reason for that, because he or she dwells in darkness. That's what the Bible says, in darkness. And when somebody dwells in darkness, the only way to pull them out of that darkness, you have to produce the light. And since the scripture says Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus is the word made flesh, if we take the word of God and begin to teach the word of God to sinners, then God, by the power of the Holy Ghost, begins to clean out somebody's ability to hear. Those instruments of hearing have to be dealt with. And that's why you can talk to people over and over again about the scripture, and they'll say something like this. Well, I don't see it that way. Even if what they don't see that way is wrong. What they're saying is, I'm deaf to what God's word says. If it's true, and it is, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then that means the word of God has to be delivered so that a person can hear. Now, I do know as a pastor, you can pass through some difficult times in your life, and it's very hard to hear what a, a minister is saying in a service because your circumstances are shouting at you. There's just too much going on and you just, you want to hear, you desire to hear, but all the problems in your life prevent you from hearing. <clears throat> when we have these bad snowstorms here in Nebraska, 
and the wind is blowing 50 miles per hour, 60 miles per hour, and we have so much snow that's blowing and it's like a whiteout. It's possible, and it surely has happened out here in the Great Plains, where somebody had to get from the house to the barn, and in order to get from the house to the barn, they've got to go, let's say, 50 yards. And somebody steps outside the house telling everybody else, now look, I'm going to the barn. I can't even see the barn right now. But whatever you do, do not come out here looking for me if I'm not back in 10 minutes. Or somebody else might say, if I'm not back in 10 or 15 minutes, please come out here and look for me. So here, there's a, there's a storm taking place. You step out and you're making your way over there to the barn. And let's say you make it there, but while you're there, in between the time you started and the time you reached your destination, it got even worse and the wind kicked up to 70 miles per hour. People are looking for you. So somebody steps outside the house and they start shouting your name as loud as they can in the midst of that storm. Do you think you're going to hear their voice? Probably not. It's not that you're not calling. The problem is they don't hear you. And it happens every week in churches across America. Somebody just lost somebody. Somebody buried a baby. Marriage fell apart. Somebody got bad news about a terminal disease. Someone just gets fired from a job. I mean, there there, there are a plethora of problems that can take place that prevent people when they come to the house of God from hearing what the word of God has to say. But that doesn't change the fact that it's the simple teaching of the scripture that's still going to make it possible for you to hear what God has to say for you. And you can hear Several churches in the book of Revelation had this little sentence at the end of the letter to their fellowship. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So God has a word for you. God has a word for me. God has a word for us corporately. The word he has for us today is Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is the means by which we are delivered and set free. And notice what he says in that second clause in verse 8. And that, see we have to know what that is referring to. Is that referring to the grace or is that referring to the deliverance or is the word that referring to the faith? Take it as inclusive of all of the preceding, of everything that has been spoken of and that that whole process your deliverance the grace of God the faith that comes to you it's not of yourselves it's a gift God is the one that gives you the ability to believe so we're in Ephesians 2 let's back up a few chapters let's go to Galatians chapter 2 I'll show you how this gift of God works Galatians 2 and I'm going to read verse 20 I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The fight, the faith which I now live in the flesh, excuse me, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm sure I, I was like so many other young preachers who were fascinated 
with all of these men and women of God that traveled the world and preached on television and radio and had large ministries and, and wanted to have faith like that. I, I was like teenagers that had books on Smith Wigglesworth and you wanted to hear these stories and read these stories about people being raised from the dead and people being healed and you always wanted faith like that and I'd go to different conferences and hear people in person. Big names. because You wanted to hear people teach on faith. And, 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 and by the time they, they were done, the one thing I did know, I knew that God was big. I knew that God could do miracles. But, but I also thought that the person up there ministering was so far up there on this, his own plane or level that there's just no way on this planet somebody like me ever going to get up there. All them stories he's telling, she's telling. And so I was, you know, uh, a person that wanted to understand these things and, and the way God helped me to see that faith is a gift from God. He showed me Galatians 2 and 20, which let me know that when Jesus Christ came to live in my heart, that I've got somebody else now inside of me that's able to live through me. Once I learned that to be a Christian means I have to be able to be dead to sin, but alive to God. I realize the only way a dead man can live the life of Christ, there's got to be somebody else in that body. And when the Lord showed me that the new life that I live in the flesh, I do it now by the faith of the Son of God. I realize Jesus in me is able to believe. I don't have to struggle to believe. I don't have to try to work my faith up when I get into a jam. That's what happens with many people. They get ill, they get sick, then they got to build their faith up and build it up. And many times, as often is the case, a lot of people end up dying before they ever get their faith muscles big. However, if we learn that faith is something that we do every day, and faith has everything to do with how you live, Make all the sense in the world. Now, I'll show you. We, we tend to use faith only in terms of thinking of somebody that's sick. But you know what? When, when each one of you came in here this evening, you sat down on that chair. You didn't even bother to check the legs on that chair to see if that chair could even hold you. I watched you as you came in. You know what you guys did? You just came in and plopped down. You know why? Because you believed that the chair could support you. Yeah. And when you were on your way to church tonight, I doubt if there's anybody in here, unless you've got one of those bad old cars, you know, little kids call them hoopties, unless you had one of them. And when you, I, get, I bet you when you went and got in your car, you stuck the key in the ignition, you probably didn't spend 10 minutes praying over your car. You probably turned it with the expectation, it's coming on and I'm driving. We, we, we use faith in nearly every aspect of our lives. But when it comes to our Christian life, then all of a sudden we believe that the same faith we use to sit down in a chair, we can also use to believe that God's a deliverer. If you could sit on that chair and believe the chair could hold you without ever giving a second thought to it, folks, I can tell you if you fall into a pit and you get into some kind of trouble and the devil is fighting you, you can also believe without a whole lot of worry and anxiety that God will deliver you in the midst of that. That's what it means to believe God, to rest in what you know about God. I love the story 
that Lester Sumrall used to tell about faith, and he learned it from a baby. And he was teaching at his conference with all of these ministers, and he said, he said, here's an illustration of faith. He said, if, if, if I'm up here on this platform, and he said, I came and I brought a, a little toddler up here on this platform, and I went down and stood down here, and the platform is up here, maybe about five or six feet or so. And he said, if, if I said to that little baby that's never seen me before and doesn't know me, if I said to that baby, okay, baby, jump to me, jump to me, said that baby would look at me and just wonder who in the world I am and never, ever move towards me at all from that platform. But he said that if, if, if I came and then had the mother come up there where I was at, and the mother came to that baby and said, okay, okay, baby, mommy's here. Come on now, jump, jump in mommy's arms. He said it wouldn't matter if that thing would have been nine feet high. That baby's face would have lit up, and that baby would have took a step and dove right into mommy's arms. And he said, you know what the issue is? He said, it's a matter of knowledge. The baby didn't know me. But he said that many times when God tells us to jump and we don't jump, it's not because we don't have faith, it's because we don't have knowledge to get to know God. When God speaks to our hearts, the Lord is then able to impart knowledge to us on the basis of the word of God. And that is why I believe it is crucial to your Christian life and mine that we master the stories in the Bible. Think about it. If, if a man like Joseph could come through what he came through, you, you don't believe God can help you? The, man, the boy was sold as a slave by his family. And then found the hand of God on him in a foreign land, and he was promoted. And after two decades, he ended up in the number two position in the country. Don't tell me God can't bring promotion to you. The scripture says promotion doesn't come from the east and the west. It's not directional, folks. It comes from God. That's where promotion comes from. When you look at the story of David, you see somebody who was not believed by his family to be worth much of anything. But yet this shepherd boy ended up being the king, even though Samuel thought his siblings were going to be chosen by God to be anointed. God chose the one that was leastly or lightly esteemed. We need to know these stories. Because when you think about yourself, it's easy to put yourself down and say, well, who am I? I don't have a, a popular name. I don't come from a big family. Or as the Brits would say, I'm not of good birth, which means you don't come from a very wealthy family. You don't need a wealthy family. You need a wealthy God. And you don't need somebody that, that has a lot of physical affluence and clout. You need somebody who's rich in mercy that can do things for you. And if you believe in him, then the door certainly can open. So going back now to Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Since God is in the business of giving gifts, we should be in the business of receiving them. And I can assure you God has enough gifts in his bag to distribute them to us all. You've never exhausted God's supply of resources. So whatever kind of gift it is that you need, it's somehow going to be connected to grace, salvation, or faith. You want God to open up a door for you? 
for a new job, still going to be connected to grace. You're still going to have to believe. You want God to work on you physically, do something great for you. It's still going to be connected to grace because it's going to be connected to faith. The means produces the results. But we can't get to the results unless we at least start with the initial part that it has to be God in the beginning. It has to be God in the middle. And certainly it'll be God in the end. That's the key. The gift. Now, there are parents that will, you know, try to promote equality amongst the kids. If one kid gets a candy bar, all the kids have to get a candy bar. Now, that, that's fine as far as it goes, but the world doesn't work like that. Because once people graduate from high school, and just because one person gets a good job, there's no guarantee somebody else is going to get a job that's comparable. And just because one kid or two kids get a boss that's Christian and loves the Lord, there's no guarantee that the next one's going to get a boss that loves the Lord. They may get a devil. Yeah, some of you probably worked for a few demons in your life. Yeah, that's, that is not nice at all. You don't want to go to work each day. You come home tired and you're wore out. And it's not even always physical. It's just the mental anguish that goes with working for somebody that does nothing but try to attack you. And so, sometimes you have to start praying for deliverance. Because by grace you're saved. Sometimes you have to believe God for certain employers to either get saved or get moved. Oh yeah, I'm sure there are a whole lot of whole lot of bosses that have been promoted to other places or demoted to other locations because there was a Christian there and they were bothering the saint. Scripture says, "Don't touch my anointed." Even David didn't want to get involved with with, with bothering Saul. And when Saul, as wicked as he was, 40 years on the throne and years persecuting David when David hadn't done anything wrong, David had an opportunity to take a knife or a spear or arrow dart and plunge it in the heart of Saul. He never did it, but he did cut off just a little bit of his clothing. And the Bible says that after he did so, His heart smote him. That's another way of saying he was convicted. And God said, you don't have to bother my people. You leave them to me. They get out of my will. I'm big enough to handle them. Yeah. My my mother never one time when I was a kid ever said anything like this to to me. You just wait till your father gets home. He's going to deal with you. Oh, not my mom. My mom was five, ten and a half an inspector in a steel plant. No, no, my mom had hands big as mine. My mom, my mom didn't have to wait for dad. She dealt with it on her own. Yeah, that's not, none of that wait for dad to get home. In fact, to be quite honest with you, on some occasions, I'd rather it was dad rather than her. I wish she would have said that. So God's not going to look at you since he's not a respecter of person. He's not going to look at you and say, oh, my goodness, you, you darling, you, you, you're too big for me to spank. Now, I mean, after all, you're 16 years old. I can't, I can't deal with you now. No, God's not like that. He chastens us if we get out of the will of God. But once again, his mercies are new every morning. He brings conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his conviction is so strong that you can try to flee from the presence of God. But David said, where can I go? 
David said, if I could fly and go up into the heavens, I couldn't escape the presence of God. He said, if I died and went in the grave, Lord, you're still there. If I descended into the depths of hell, he said, the presence of the Lord is still there. I think one of the great tragedies of people that are in hell right now is that they're in a place. They know there's a God now, but they're in a place and know that he's he's real, but they can't get to him. That's worse. Spend your life saying there is no God and then end up in a place to find out there is a God and you can never get to heaven because you're trapped in a location where God said there's no exit for disobedient people. For by grace are all of us saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. If it's not of myself, that means I can't do enough good deeds to produce salvation. God has to work in me. Now, now this is interesting. You can talk to people in, <clears throat> in our area. And you can ask them, are you a Christian? And you might get any number of responses. You say, are you a Christian? Some might say, well, I'm Catholic. You say, well, are you a Christian? I'm Lutheran. Are you a Christian? Well, I mean, I'm Pentecostal. Well, what does any of that mean? When I ask you, are you a Christian? I'm asking you, are you born again? Are you connected with the Lord Jesus Christ? How were you saved? Well, I was baptized as a baby. Tell me about your, your, your memory of it. Well, I can't remember. Oh, my. Okay. Tell, tell me how it is that, that you fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can go on and on and on and on and on. Now, it is, it is possible to be raised in an environment where all you know is God and, and, and you don't even have a connection with iniquity and, and, and sin. But, but those cases so, uh, certainly are exceptionally rare. You don't have a whole lot of those. There's not a lot of people in the world come into the world like John the Baptist, full of the Holy Ghost at birth. Most people come into this world and have to discover who the Lord is. But, but once you find out that your life is falling short of the standard that God has in his son Jesus, then people have a tendency to try to do things to make their conscience feel better. How many of you ever heard of Adam and Eve before? Heard of Adam and Eve? Yeah. Adam and Eve, first couple in the Bible, God put them in the garden and said, you can eat of every tree except this one. He said, don't touch this one tree, it's mine. That's the tree they wanted. That's usually what happens. The moment you tell somebody you can't have that, avoid that, stay away from that, the temptation arises because now it's like, okay, now I know they don't want me to have that. That's the one I need to have. So they, they went, ate of the fruit, devoured it, realized their eyes were open and realized, oh, my Lord, we're standing here. I am embarrassed by how I am dressed because I'm not dressed. And so the scripture says they went and they hid in the trees and in the bushes. And, and, and finally, they, we, we can't do this forever. So we've got we to do something to make us feel better about who we are. So both of them got some, I don't know how in the world they stitched this. It's sewing goes back a long ways, folks. They, they got the leaves together, some big leaves, and sewed them together. And they started covering up parts of their body. And pretty soon they felt good around one another again. Yeah. So so God had some questions. He came to where they were and they obviously were not as he had left them. And 
he asked about those items of clothing, and then he had to let them know you would not have needed them had not your eyes been opened, and your eyes would not have been opened had you not tasted of the forbidden fruit. See, that's what happens. But they wanted to alleviate the guilt and shame they felt from a bad conscience, and that is what happens in our nation right now. People who don't believe in God, then sometimes people who do believe in God, the way they wrestle with guilt and shame is they try to do something to alleviate the weight of the guilt. What are some things that people do? Well, um, why don't we go take some groceries to the poor? Well, you ought to do that anyhow, but that doesn't necessarily make, make, mean you're going to feel better about yourself. Why don't we, for Christmas and Thanksgiving, you know, two times a year, we're going to work in a soup kitchen and give food to everybody. That, that make us feel good at least two times in a year. Well, why, why don't we, why don't every week we, we wash and wax and clean the inside of pastor's car? Well, that's not going to help you earn salvation, but I'll give you the keys if you'd like to do so. You, you can't earn salvation, folks. You can't do it through baked goods. You can't do it by, by uh, just visiting a whole lot of people all the time. You can't do it by taking gifts to people, giving large donations. Church attendance will make you feel better about yourself because I've seen people go to church and backslide while they're sitting in church. I've seen people sit in church and the whole time they're in church, in their mind and in their heart, they'd rather be somewhere else. Yeah. This book does two things in working on the conscience. <clears throat> It'll mold it and make it better. Or this book can end up hardening it and it'll make it worse. It all depends on how a person's heart is. The conscience is powerful in every human person because your conscience is what accuses you of bad behavior or it excuses you of certain kinds of behavior. And this is why Paul said we should take the word of God and allow the word of God to mold and shape the conscience. We don't ever want to have a reprobate mind. We want to have a mind that's based on the word of God. To keep myself in a position where I can believe God and know that salvation is a gift, grace is a gift, faith is a gift. I need to understand I didn't earn it. Jesus already provided. I need to simply believe. Jesus' death on the cross produced a salvation that is sufficient for all but is only efficient for those who believe. So if a person says, I choose not to believe, they're saying, I choose to reject the salvation of God. And the person that rejects the salvation of God believes they're smarter than God. But the Bible says, even the foolishness of God is stronger than the wisdom of men. What does that mean? That means that God chooses the foolish things, the weak things, Things or people who are not highly esteemed, God takes their life, turns it upside down, and blesses them. The potter takes the clay, he puts the clay on the wheel, he starts molding it and shaping it. It takes time. Then once he's done, he puts it in the fire. But if something happens with that clay, you know what he's doing sometimes with pieces and, 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 and portions of that clay? He's tossing it aside. But you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't do that. 
Your life is so valuable and means so much to the Lord that the Lord puts you right back up on that wheel and he starts molding and making you all over again. It's been a lot of years, but when I was a teenager, there's a message I used to preach out of Jeremiah called, I'm so glad the Lord didn't throw the clay away. Yeah. He took somebody like me. He'll take somebody like you. And he'll say, you know what? My mercies are new every morning. Why don't we start all over again? Isn't that a blessing? Wow, because there are a whole lot of people that believe in second chances and third chances. But after you get past two or three, your grace is pretty much run out. Even Peter said, Lord, we're, you know, this is getting a little bit out of hand. How often do I need to let somebody sin against me before I, I forgive them? I mean, 490 times. That, that's, that's a lot. But 70 times. I think I'm being pretty gracious. I mean, some people get on my nerves, Lord. But the Lord gave him a number that was big. He said, if you can find somebody sin against you 500 times in a day and, uh, and you get through every one of them, you won't have a problem at all. So let's, let's, let's be like the Lord. Let, let's believe God. God has shed his love in our hearts so that the love that we receive, we can give to other people. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Isn't forgiveness a wonderful thing? Grace is a wonderful thing. Faith is is a wonderful thing. Wow. Yeah, how wonderful God is. Let's, let's do this. Everybody sit back down real fast. Sit back down. Okay, everybody get back up. Now you see how you, see you sat down in the chair again. You didn't even look to see if the thing was going to hold you. I'm serious now. We're getting ready to dismiss. But I mean, you sat down again. You didn't even bother to look. I'm telling you, you can live your Christian life that way. Without a whole lot of worry, without a whole lot of anxiety, and the next time bad news comes, you know what you can do? You can just say, Lord, I'm resting in you. I'm just going to sit down in you. It's all going to work itself out. Instead of losing sleep and, and vain, bulging out of your neck, I mean, unless you've got physical pain, which I know is hard to deal with because I've had to deal with that before, and, and, and you, you have to have some aid and assistance. But you, 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 you do need to understand that when we're talking about problems that the devil is bringing, the kind of problems where we could just sit back and rest in God, let's just do that. Let's just trust God. Yeah. So for, for all of us in here that have a, how do we want to call it, a food addiction, and you just act like you have to eat every day, yeah, like you just have to have something, a glass of water, a pork chop, a piece of chicken or something like that. R rather than getting discouraged at the fact that you have to eat, you know what you can do? You can say, I I'm going to work on that on Thursdays. That's going to be fast day. I'm going to turn the plate down on Thursday. I'm going to fast a meal or two meals. I'll fast sun up to sundown. Or I'll fast the whole day. But Isaiah 58 is very plain. Fasting is a powerful thing. Because it's part of our consecration to God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we believe you. And we thank you that your word is true. We refuse to live our lives in defeat and in the bondage of fear. God, help us week after week turn the plate down to trust you, to keep that relationship quiet and private, 
That in those moments where we are praying and fasting, Lord, we thank you for the light that will break forth, as it says in Isaiah 58, for the deliverance that will rise up as the noonday sun. God, we glorify you. I pray for everybody in here tonight. Give them a great week. Let your favor be upon them. Set a hedge of protection about them. Every scheme or plan of the devil, we pray for its exposure that they would recognize and identify it in the name of Jesus. Cast that thing out. Because God, you're powerful. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, 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 Amen.